Welcome back to my podcast, From Hevel to Eternity. I'm Brian, and today we're diving into the book of Zechariah. We've been navigating through the Minor Prophets, and we've reached the next-to-last one, which is also the next-to-last book of the entire Old Testament. Zechariah is one of the longer Minor Prophet books. It's the first book in a while that we won't be able to read through in its entirety during the podcast. So I'm going to switch things up a little bit. Instead of a super long overview episode followed by another equally long geek out episode, I've decided to break the Zachariah study into what will probably be six shorter episodes. This episode will cover the overview, the background, the context, and generally lay out the themes of the book. This will be followed by three episodes diving further into those themes. One episode will focus on the judgment of God on the people and God's call to his people as laid out within the book of Zechariah. One episode will focus on the themes of God's encouragement to the people and his promised restoration for the people. Then the final theme-based episode will focus solely on the Messiah of the people that is described in detail throughout the book of Zechariah. I've mentioned that pound for pound, the book of Zechariah might be the most messianic book in the entire Old Testament. Well, this episode will aim to back up that statement. The penultimate episode will focus on how all of these themes directly link back to the gospel, and then how to take some application out of the themes of the study. Then, as is customary, the final episode will be the geek out session. This is going to be a bit of a trial run for an approach I might end up taking for some of the longer upcoming studies on books like Deuteronomy, Job, and Isaiah. Overall, I pray that this episode will be helpful in equipping us to read and to understand the book of Zechariah and to see our Savior Jesus more clearly across its pages. Today, specifically, I'm praying that this episode will provide a proper introduction to the book and to help us take the first step in reading through an otherwise difficult book to read. So let's dive in. The book of Zechariah's textual summary is one of the longer ones, but bear with me for a minute. So the remnant of Israel should be encouraged and should find hope that God will usher in his people's restoration and his kingdom. And his kingdom will come through his spirit and the future Messiah who will be both priest and king. Then this book goes on to describe that this priest king would also be the divine Messiah who would come humbly be rejected by men, be slain by God the Father, be the source of salvation for all people who believe, and that he would be glorified for eternity. The summary is long, but Zechariah is one of the longest and most complex of the minor prophets, so it's kind of fitting. According to John Blanchard, it is thought to be the most difficult Old Testament book to interpret. I'd probably argue that the second half of Daniel might be the hardest, but Zechariah is pretty tough too. The book is full of visions and oracles spanning all of time, really. There are some on judgment, some on wrath, on destruction, but the salvation and the restoration passages, they are the ones that really dominate this book. To dive into the book, you really need to take an approach similar to how you would approach the book of Revelation. You can't try to figure out every symbolic detail in its most exact intricacies. You would drive yourself crazy if you did this. I'll save some of that for the geek out session, but it's also not essential for understanding the message of the book. It is quoted and alluded to a lot in the New Testament. 
according to the ESV Study Bible. One estimate finds 54 passages from Zechariah echoed in about 67 different places in the New Testament. Per John Blanchard, the New Testament quotes this book more than any other book in the Old Testament, except for Isaiah. And Zechariah is especially quoted in the Passion Week accounts, you know, that last week of Jesus' life. The book of Revelation quotes Zechariah more than any other book except for Ezekiel. There are descriptions of the Messiah that cover both his first and his second comings. The book of Zechariah is enormous when it comes to its weight and everything that it's trying to tell us. And it's one of the reasons why I'm going to try to break it into a larger number of smaller episodes. So, hopefully this is going to be helpful. So, the Minor Prophets include a collection of 12 individual books in our Bible. The first nine books are pre-exilic, meaning that they occur before the period where Babylon takes the nation of Judah into exile. The last three minor prophets are post-exilic prophets, meaning that the books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all take place after the exile is over and the groups of Israelites have returned to the promised land. You might be getting tired of me providing time periods by now, but I actually think it's important for context, so humor me again. In 539 BC, Persia conquered Babylon. Then, in around 538 BC, about 50,000 Israelites returned to Jerusalem from Persia in waves. Around 536 or 535, temple construction was started, but it was halted shortly after that. There were some outside obstacles at the start, but by the end, the people really just had a priority problem. They were making up their own priorities instead of making God the one priority. If you remember back to the book of Haggai and the end of verse 1-9, it says, Because of my house that lies in waste, while each of you is busy with his own house. In 520 BC, Haggai started prophesying, and he focused primarily on the people's priority problems and commanding them to restart temple construction. The people started rebuilding the temple shortly after that. Zechariah starts his prophetic period shortly after Haggai starts his, so both are speaking similar messages at the same time. As we unpack the book, though, remember the context, the recent trauma of the exile, the joy of returning from the exile, the fear of being a very small group of people surrounded by political enemies and still under the shadow of the vast Persian empire. In this environment, God speaks a message to return to him, and to remember the hope of future restoration that is to come, the promise of salvation and the coming of the Messiah. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edu, the prophet. Zechariah chapter 1, the beginning of verse 1. So the who is the prophet Zechariah, and his name means Yahweh remembers. Throughout the book, we see that despite their hardship and circumstances, Yahweh remembers his people, and he reiterates his promise to them. The what is the word of the Lord. It's a word of hope and promise and restoration and salvation through the Messianic king. The when is the eighth month in the second year of King Darius of Persia. 
So Zechariah 1.1 dates two months after Haggai 1.1. So they were very similar start times and they prophesied throughout the same time period. Speaking of the comparisons between Haggai and Zechariah, well, according to John Blanchard, Haggai is very blunt, very straightforward, while Zechariah is full of symbols and pictures. According to Richard Belcher, Haggai has been called the builder, while Zechariah has been called the artist. And then according to Constable, Haggai is more practical, while Zechariah is more theoretical. Both books present similar themes, but in starkly different ways. Basically, as we open up the book, if you like books like Acts or the first half of Daniel, then you'll probably follow Haggai more. But if you like books like Revelation or the second half of Daniel, then you'll probably dig the book of Zechariah. As we've mentioned in some of the other overview episodes, there is no one-size-fits-all image for the prophets. God calls prophets from different backgrounds, with different life experiences, and who write in different styles to present his message to his people. Alright, a basic outline of the book really breaks it into two different halves. Chapters 1 through 8, they include a call to repent and turn to the Lord, a call to rebuild the temple, and it includes eight of these visions and dreams that I'll probably get into the Geek Out session. It might be more similar to Haggai in some regards. Chapters 9 through 14, well, they really speak to the entry of the Messiah, the price paid by the Messiah, the salvation that comes from the Messiah, and it might be more similar to the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. Thomas Schreiner states that the central theme of the book is the kingdom of God. What are some of the challenges of the book of Zechariah? Well, the timeline is definitely a big one. What is the timeline? When are the events written? When are the events described taking place? Is the prophecy fulfilled in the short term? Is the prophecy fulfilled in the long term? Well, they don't always follow a linear fashion in the book, so it can be very difficult. There are dates in the book, like in verses 1-1 and verse 7-1, that give exact timestamps. But these are the times that a vision or an oracle or a word of the Lord came to Zechariah not the date that that vision plays out. This can create a challenge. Then you get these non-specific dates. According to the ESV translation, on that day occurs 21 times, 18 of them taking place between chapters 9 and 14. And then a day is coming occurs another once in Zechariah 14.1. So how you factor these on that days, or a day is coming, these generic dates, how you factor those into reading this book adds another challenge. It goes back to some of those mountain peaks that we've talked about before. There's this beautiful mountain range that's being presented to us, but from our vantage point, we have a hard time identifying which peaks are closest and which ones are further away. Occasionally, we get markers for one or two of the peaks, but for most of them, we're just not given an order or the distance between each of the events. Another challenge is that we have a tendency toward the familiar. We cling to the comfortable and we avoid or skim over the confusing and the foreign passages. Zechariah is no different. In the I know that passage vein, we get passages like Zechariah 9.9, 9, 
Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, even on a colt, the foil of a donkey. And this is fulfilled in Jesus' triumphal entry in Matthew 21.5. We also have some passages that we know, but maybe we didn't know were from this book. So Zechariah 2.8 says, For thus says Yahweh of armies, For honor he has sent me to the nations which plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. I'm sure most of us have heard the phrase, the apple of his eye, but didn't really know that it came from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 4.6 is similar. Then he answered and spoke to me, saying, This is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says Yahweh of armies. We've probably heard the phrase, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, quite often. It's even in some of the popular songs nowadays. But we probably didn't know it was pulled from Zechariah 4.6. Then, like other prophetic books, we get some passages where we really ask, is that actually in the Bible? Zechariah 4.12 is a good example of this. This will be the plague with which Yahweh will strike all the peoples who have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh will consume away while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will consume away in their sockets, and their tongue will consume away in their mouth. You know, nice, warm, and fuzzy language. The third and final challenge that I'll cover for this book in particular is the he did what factor. The prophets do weird things through their words and their actions. Sometimes we let the weirdness of an action or a vision cloud our understanding of the symbolism behind that action. For Zechariah, you will definitely say that those are some weird dreams, dude, a couple times in the book. Zechariah 1.8 says, I had a vision in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in a ravine, and behind him there were red, brown, and white horses. Zechariah 6 verses 1 and 3 kind of talk similar languages. Again, I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and mountains were mountains of brass. In the first chariot were red horses, in the second chariot black horses, in the third chariot white horses, and in the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them powerful. There are actually eight nighttime visions or dreams in the book, and they have relationships with each other. So the following notes are from Jason DeRochi, by the way. Visions 1 and 8 are of global peace and of Yahweh reigning. Visions 2 and 7 and then 3 and 6, they involve sin and restoration. The middle visions, visions 4 and 5, they cover the means for kingdom restoration, that God's spirit will enable success, and they foretell of the future priest king, the high priest and the royal heir from the line of David. All in all, I want to wrap it up with a quote from BibleProject.com's Read Scripture video. In the end, Zechariah is a wild ride full of nonlinear thoughts and startling imagery. So as we move forward into the theme-based episodes, I've really identified five themes that I want to highlight. Judgment on the people, a call toward the people, encouragement to the people, restoration for the people, and the coming Messiah of the people. As we read through the book, just take note of all of the actions that are prompted by the Lord himself. 
John Piper also notes that a very profitable way to read this book is to mark every verse where God says he's going to do something good for Jerusalem. It's over 50 times. We'll get into all of this over the next few episodes, but I just kind of wanted to lay the foundation of those themes. At the basic application level, Zechariah calls God's people to repentance, obedience, and perseverance as we trust in the Messiah as our Savior, and as we eagerly await his return in glory. Also notice the word Shema. It's used a lot in this book. The people need to listen and they need to hear. So look for listen and hear. They need to hear what judgment was cast on their ancestors. They need to hear that judgment comes to the enemies of Israel. They need to hear what God is calling them to do. They need to hear what encouragement is being given to them. And they need to hear God's plan for restoration and salvation and what that will look like. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this gave a decent introduction to the book of Zechariah. I hope that you will make a plan to read through these 14 chapters with us over the next three weeks. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Until next time, I love y'all.